So I'm sure we all know those people who, when they tell a story, they have to go into every last detail. You know those people, they drive you absolutely insane. Those people that just, they, for whatever reason, feel that every little thing has to be talked about, every little thing has to be put in there. Um, you know, your wife, your, your mom, I don't know who it is, they, they come in the room, have you seen the scissors? Like, no, I haven't seen the scissors. They're like, well, I haven't seen the scissors since, I think it was Wednesday. It may have actually been Tuesday, but it was one of those days because I wore that red shirt and I had that string hanging off and it was about yay big, or maybe have been yay big. I'm not sure, but I, I know I had to cut something. And, and then I remember your brother, your sister hey, had a project due and, and I remember using the scissors then and I just have, I haven't seen the scissors since then. And you're, you're like, I wish you hadn't lost the scissors because if they were here, I would cut my ears off so I don't have to hear you talk anymore. Could you just get to the point already? You lost the scissors, let's look for them. All right, great. I don't need every little detail. It's like we get lost in all the details. We get lost in the bigness of the story. And you know, I think sometimes we feel intimidated or lost in the details of the Bible. Like we look at the bigness of the Bible and we feel kind of lost by it. Uh, The Bible is incredible. The Bible is amazing. It's incredibly relevant to your life. It will change your life. There's no book on earth like it. But sometimes we just get lost in all the details. There's 66 books, 1,189 chapters. There's 31,101 verses. And depending on the translation, 785,000 words in the Bible. And sometimes, like I said last week, we just kind of wish, like, is there like a Cliff's Notes or a Spark Notes version of the Bible? What's it all about? What does it all come down to? What is it all about? And so here in this series, we are trying to just summarize the Bible in three statements. Trying to take the whole Bible and summarize it in three statements. And one of the reasons we're doing that is because we want to be people who don't just sit in church and listen to messages about the Bible. We don't want to be people who just own Bibles or Bible apps. We want to be people who live what the Bible says. And so I want to make it real clear what it's all about, what it all comes down to to be a follower of Jesus so we can march out of here and we can live it out. And so last week we started out summarizing the whole Bible with this first most important statement and it's this, God loves you. And wants to have a relationship with you. That's the story of the Bible. All 785,000 words, they all come down to that. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope that blows your mind. God loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. And last week, I mentioned that I think the people in the room that needed to be reminded of this important truth most are actually the Christians in the room. The ones that have been Christians for a real long time. Because some of the passion and the awe and the amazement at that statement just wears off over time. And so I don't know about you, but I have kind of been fired up this past week in my relationship with God. It's been an awesome week in my relationship with God because I just came back around that simple truth. God loves me. Doug Jansen, the mess up, the guy who does the wrong thing. He wants to have a relationship with me. He wants to communicate with me. He wants to know what's going on in my heart. He wants to know about my good day, my bad day. God desires that with me. I've had such a great week in my relationship with God. Because I just got fired up about that simple truth. So now that we know that, what do we do? Okay, now we know God loves us, wants to have a relationship with us. So now what? What what is all the rest of the Bible about? There's still lots of do's and don'ts and commands and words and chapters and books. So what does it all come down to? Well, that's what we're going to look at for these next few weeks. Because the cool thing is Jesus basically summarized the Bible in just a few statements. He summarized most of the Old Testament and he summarized the theme of the New Testament in just a few statements that we're going to look at tonight and next week. And these statements have to do with loving God and loving others. Loving God 
and loving others. Tonight we're going to talk about loving God. And the, and the reason we're going to talk about this, and, and, and it's so important for us, is because we don't always easily love God, do we? Sometimes we struggle to love God. Especially, we struggle to love Him the way He wants us to, or sometimes the way we wish we loved Him. Sometimes we look at other people, we're like, I just wish I loved God like Him. I wish I loved God like her. And we can really struggle sometimes with loving God. And the reason is, it's because there are so many other things trying to get us to make them ultimate. There's so many other things in our lives trying to capture the passion of our heart. Everything in our life is yelling, love me most, love me most. People and stuff and objects and jobs. And I mean, so many different things are screaming at us saying, make me first. Don't make God first. Don't make that thing first. Don't make you first. No, make me first. I want you to actually fill in a little statement here, okay? Question I want you to answer is this. The thing I'm tempted to love more than God is fill in the blank. What would that be for you? The thing I am tempted to love more than God is fill in the blank. Some of us know immediately what it is. As soon as I said it, you're like, wow, I know exactly what goes in that blank. I know exactly what derails my relationship with God. Others of us might not be so sure though. And so let me ask you a couple questions to help you out. Somebody once said that if you look at your calendar and your checkbook, you'll figure out pretty quickly what you're passionate about, what you love. Because it's what you spend your time and your money on is probably that thing that drives your passion. So maybe that helps you fill in that blank a little bit. Another question, what, if it were taken away from me, would cause my world to crumble? What, if it were taken away from you, would really just tear your world apart? If you couldn't do blank anymore, you wouldn't be you. If you couldn't do blank anymore, if you didn't have blank anymore, you wouldn't be you. Another question, maybe help narrow this down. What rivals your love for God? For example, if, if your love level for God is here, what's like right here? What's right on the edge? What's, what, what sometimes rises above your love for God? Or what some, sometimes is just always like right there, it's even, it's slightly below, it rises above. Like what is that rival in your life when it comes to your relationship with God? The thing I'm tempted to love more than God is blank. Uh, let me give you some examples of some things it may be. I may miss yours, that's okay. But maybe it's sports. Maybe you look at your calendar and your checkbook and you go, man, I think the thing I love more than God, or tempted anyway to love more than God, is sports. Now, there's nothing wrong with sports. I love sports. I'm so excited that softball starts in three weeks. I'm counting down the days. I can't wait to get out there and probably hurt myself again, but I just can't wait to do it. It's so great. I usually hurt myself earlier every season, and the older I get, it's wonderful. I can't wait for Major League Baseball to start. I'm so excited. I'm already like following, you know, what the Mets are doing now and nothing even matters yet. You know, I'm just so pumped. I can't wait. I'm so excited. But when we make sports ultimate, there's a problem. When we make sports ultimate, we're going to ultimately realize we're missing out on something greater. Money. We're so caught up in money or the stuff that money can get us that we've made that more important than our relationship with God. We're just blinded by money or the greed or, or just maybe it's just overworking so we can get the money and the stuff. Maybe it's entertainment. You know, it's the hours upon hours of video games played a day or, or TV or movies watched. Again, I love this stuff. I'm actually terrible at video games, so I really don't love video games. I wish I was really good. Remember a dude back, oh man, uh, the old school GoldenEye James Bond game. Joey Lucci, when he was about eighth grade, tried to, tried to get me to play with him. And, and I'm used to like old school Nintendo. There was just an A and a B and a move. Remember that? And Joey gives me this rope with like 7,000 controls on it and buttons and like things in Russian. I don't even know what they mean, you know? So I'm like, what the heck? So he's like, oh, you just do this, you do this, 
me this quick little tutorial. And all I knew how to do was press the two buttons that were like A and B. And all James Bond was doing is taking his gun out and putting it back. Taking his gun out <laughs> putting it back. I was getting shot and getting killed. I'm like, this stinks. So I am not good at video games. But I love entertainment. I love movies and TV. And so again, I'm not coming down on this stuff. I'm just saying when we make it ultimate, we're missing out. When we love it more than we love God, when it's got a place in our heart more than God does, then we're settling. And so, you know, if, we're, if you're watching two, three, four hours of TV a day or, or two, three, four hours of video games, I think you know what your rival might be. I think you know how to fill in that blank. Uh, for some of us, it's a relationship. And this might be a good one. When we take a good relationship and we make it more important than God, then that becomes a bad relationship, Right? But some of us, we're just in some really bad relationships. We're, we're in those relationships where we hang out with a certain person or a group of people and we always get ourselves in trouble. We always start doing things we know we don't want to do and we know God wouldn't want us to do. For some of us, it's social media. What would we do without Facebook? Oh, wow. What would we do, right? Without Twitter and Instagram and all these things. Um, actually, somebody asked that question recently and some people wrote back in. What would we do or what did we do before Facebook? And here's what some people wrote. Before Facebook, I couldn't have cared less about pictures of you working out. Oh, wait, I still don't. Before Facebook, I had to carry little stickers with the word like on them to physically place on my friends' cats and babies. I mean, so we have the likes now, right? You have the likes. Um, I'm really waiting. Oh, you guys know this, right? That, that it's not just likes anymore. Now you can react on Facebook. Did you know that? Now there's a react button. Ooh, cool. And uh, I, I'm, I'm like excited for the dislike button. When's that one coming, you know? Like uh, picture somebody on vacation in Florida and I'm getting snowed on. Dislike. Uh, you asked me to play Candy Crush Saga again. Dislike and I might come to your house and kill you. Um, but I'm actually really excited about this button. I'm, I'm hoping that this is in the near future. It's just the meh button. <laughs> meh. Right? How great would that be? It's Johnny's first day of school. Look at his new haircut. Meh. <laughs> Might get you in some trouble. I don't know. What else we got here? Uh, before Facebook, I thought something going viral was a bad thing. Before Facebook, I had relationships with real people. Before Facebook, I imagine it would have been weird if you'd come home and I was looking through all your photo albums. <laughs> right? You guys come home from school or work and I'm sitting on your couch with a big tub of ice cream. Like, man, you've lost a lot of weight since then. You look great. So I don't know, man. It's, it's just the hours lost looking at people's pictures we don't even like, right? I don't know. Is that it? Is that your feeling? Is it your job? Good question to ask. Is my, is my job my God? Have I made that ultimate? Is it alcohol or drugs? Have you been looking at alcohol or drugs to numb out the pain as opposed to going to Jesus to heal the pain, to set you free from the pain? I've met so many people who said, I've spent years of my life just trying to numb out. And then I went to Jesus and he healed the hurt that I was trying to bury. He took the emotional pain and woundedness that I was trying to cover over with drugs or alcohol. Is it your education? Some of you are so focused on your education that you don't spend time with God. Now, some of you have the exact opposite problem, okay? But some of us, we're 4.0ers in the room, and that's great. God wants you to do a great job, but he doesn't want you to be at 4.0 if it means no relationship with him. Maybe a 3.7 will do if you can stay vibrant in your relationship with God. If you can pull off 4.0 and be tight with Jesus, go for it. He wants to empower you to study hard and work, work to your full potential. But nothing's worth compromising on this relationship with him. What about sex? Sex is an amazing thing that God's given us. And uh, you know, I get upset sometimes in church when they say how bad sex is and how it destroys everything. No, sex is an amazing, wonderful gift from God. It's the misuse of sex that destroys everything. Sex is incredible. But it's when we misuse it and we make it ultimate that things get 
destroyed. Is that what you fill your blank in? Being right. Some of us want to be right. Somebody wronged us a really long time ago, and we feel that we are right to hang on to the offense. And God says, forgive. Let it go. You're in a cage as long as you hang on to unforgiveness. And you're just hanging on to being right. God, I am right to hold on to this anger. And it's driving a wedge between you and God. Some of us love our intellect more than we love God. God's word says, hey, do things this way. This is, this is going to work for you. You know, I know you really feel you want to go that way. The Bible says that our heart is deceitful above all things. So sometimes our hearts think, oh, this is what I need. This is what I want. This is going to make me happy. And God's word may say, no, 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 this is going to fulfill you. And this is going to give you joy and hope. And we go, no, God, I know better. My intellect tells me here. My heart tells me that I got this. And we go left when God may want us to go right. And maybe it's just you. Maybe you are the answer to that question. The thing I'm love, tempted to love more than God is myself. Just the way I like doing things and, and my preferences and, and what I feel comfortable with. Maybe you have yourself in that first place seat. Now here's the thing about all these things, and I may not have mentioned what you might have as a struggle, and that's okay, whatever it is. Here's what I know about everything I've mentioned and everything you and I struggle with. They all make lousy gods. Every single one of them make lousy gods. Even the good things. Sports are good. Sex is good. Family is great. Wonderful. Your job, your education, all good. But they all make lousy gods. And so tonight, I want to encourage you to stop messing around with these little G-gods and get back to, to the true God. Loving Him more than these other things in our lives. Funny thing about this whole thing with all these things being lousy gods is that you know it's true. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. If you've made sex or alcohol or drugs or your job or your education your God for more than six months, I can guarantee you've already seen that it's let you down, that it falls short. That you're chasing and chasing and chasing that satisfaction and that joy and that hope. It's already let you down. It's already betrayed you. It's already shown you that it makes a lousy God. The Bible says sin is fun for a season. And that's true. And so you might be going, Doug, you don't know, man. I mean, gosh, the things I'm doing right now, I'm having the time of my life. I'm having just such a blast. It's so much fun. But I can guarantee you, the day is going to come where you will look you might not say this out loud or certainly may, may not knock on my office door and say, Doug, I just want to let you know that what you said at that church service that night, man, it does make a lousy God. You might not say that out loud, but I would guess the day will come you'll be able to see through sin or fun or any even good thing being a God in your life. Just simply going to fall short. And so we're going to talk about loving God tonight. We're going to talk about the importance of it. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're so glad that you are here. We love that you're in the building tonight. You're welcome here, whether you agree with me, disagree with me, like me, don't like me. We're so glad that you're with us. And tonight, rather than just tell you that loving God is important, I want to tell you why it's important. I want you to see what is offered and what is available when you love God. Maybe, you know, so often in life, maybe you've encountered some Christians and they say, hey, you should do this or you should do that. You should believe in God. You should love God. Why? Well, that's what I hope you'll see tonight. And so here we're going to look at Matthew 22. And Jesus had been talking with some different groups of people. And there are these two religious uh, slash political groups called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And these groups 
were always trying to mess with Jesus. They're always trying to mess Jesus up and trip him up and get in arguments with him and make him look bad. And uh, one of those groups had kind of failed at that. And this is where we pick up in the story in Matthew twenty-two thirty-four. It says this, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, which is one of these groups, the Pharisees got together. So the Pharisees go, well, the Sadducees couldn't trip, trick him up, or trip him up, rather. So we're going to try. And then in verse 35, it says this, One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Talking to Jesus, he says, Jesus, or teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? So here's this expert in the law. He was an expert in Old Testament theology and law. And this guy knows his stuff. I mean, he, he probably had books of the Old Testament memorized. This guy knows his stuff. And he thinks he's got Jesus right where he wants him. And so he asked him this question, what is the greatest commandment in the, or, or I'm sorry, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And there were all kinds of arguments and debates. Like the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees would sit around and argue about what was most important. And some people said, no, it's ceremonial washing. And other people said, oh, it's the Sabbath day. And they would argue. They even had the, what they called the greater commands and the lesser commands. And they had broken them up into categories. And so they're just sort of arguing and, and, and they're trying to trap Jesus. What's he going to say? And we think we finally got him. And here is what is interesting about this question. You see, this expert in the law he is expecting Jesus to come back with an answer that's all about performance. He's expecting Jesus to come back and say, oh, well, here's the most important commandment. It's that you do this. It's that you, eh, you know, let's not murder anybody. That's the most important one. Let's not lie. Let's, let's honor our parents. Let's, he's expecting a performance mentality to come back from what Jesus has to say. But look what Jesus does. So powerful. Look what he says in verse 37. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So here's this religious guy saying, hey, Jesus, tell me how to perform. Tell me what to do. And Jesus says, hey, let's make it all about love. Let's make it all about a relationship with me. Love me with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? What is Jesus saying here? How are we supposed to do that? I think what it means is that we don't hold anything back. I think it means we love him without reservation. I think it means that we love him without rivals. That we love him with all that we are. So in other words, I think what Jesus is saying here is, love me here, love everything else here. You can still love other things, but love me here. Don't, don't even let it be a close second. Love me here. and Love everything else here. Love me with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. See, Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6.5 here. And so what happened was Moses got all these commands from God, right? And you guys are probably familiar, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you've seen the movies or the, the, the commercials, or even sometimes they'll, they'll do like cartoon strips on this, and Moses is holding the Ten Commandments, right? And, and so Moses gets all the commandments, and, and uh, there's actually hundreds more than just the famous Ten. And then after Moses tells the nation of Israel all these commandments, he says this. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and with all your mind. And Jesus quotes that. Now what's incredible to me is that Jesus didn't quote one of the famous ten. Like what Jesus quoted wasn't even on the tablets. wasn't on the famous ten commandments. You know, I don't know if Moses could hear this conversation from heaven. I don't know how that all works out logistically. But I just wonder if Moses was able to, if he was like yelling out, like, number six. <laughs> like I broke that one. It really stunk. You don't want to go down there. Oh, that's definitely the most important one. And Jesus is going, no, no, no. It's not about the stone. It's not about the hundreds of commands about ceremonial washing and 
doing this on this day and doing that on that day and what you can and can't do. He says, most important command is love me. Just love me with all you are, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. Well, why? Why should I love God? Well, first of all, I think we should love God because we just should. He's the greatest thing in all existence. He's God. So it's right that we love him. But that sort of sounds like when our parents say, I, because I said so. You know what I mean? Like, God, oh, why should I love you? Because I said so. Like, God has every right to do that. But he doesn't do that. Remember when you were a kid? I mean, that was just the worst answer you could ever get. Dad, can we go get Slurpees? No. Why? Because I said so. I, I used to hate that. And now as a parent, it is the go-to answer. It's so legit. Dad, can we go get Slurpees? No. Why? Because I said so. That's right. I said it. And so it's wonderful. But God's a better dad than me. And so he doesn't just say, because I said so. You know, one of the reasons God tells us to love him more than anything else He tells us to love him more than anything else because he's the best thing we could love. He's the best thing we could love. See, some of us, man, we are so in love with Netflix. We are so in love with with binge watching. You familiar with that term? It means you sit in front of a, a TV and you watch like seven hours of a show in a single sitting. You know what though? Netflix, your Xbox, didn't get on a cross in your place. Money, the stuff that it can get you, was not beaten and whipped on your behalf. As great as that relationship, boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, husband, parent, child, as great as they are, they do not love you with an unconditional, perfect love. The drugs have not freed you. They've enslaved you. The sex misused has not freed you. It's beaten you up. And then there's Jesus, who was put on a cross in your place, who was beaten and whipped in your place, who does love you with a perfect love, who does free and heal. And so every time you and I choose Netflix over Jesus, we must be insane. Every time we misuse sex and make it ultimate, use it out of the way God designed it, man, what are we thinking? God is so much better. He's done so much more for us. Every time we take a a green piece of paper, think about that. It's printed somewhere. And we make that more important than our relationship with God. We're just simply settling. We're, We're settling for second best. You know what the funny thing is about loving God and putting him first? The funny thing is, is not only is he the best thing, but but catch this, please. You ready? When you and I love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, when we put him first, it has a funny way of transforming everything else in our life. And so here we are, we're working on our performance. And so you're here tonight, and you're hearing me speak, and you're going, you know, I don't know about all this loving God stuff, but I do feel like I should stop sleeping with my girlfriend for whatever reason, maybe just a moral reason. Or you might say, yeah, you know, I don't really believe in all this Jesus stuff, but I I have been making too big a deal of entertainment. I kind of want to spend some other time and I just want to get over that or get, get the drugs out of my life or whatever it might be. And we all focus on the performing side, you know? Let me just fix this. Let me, let me stop loving Netflix so much. Let me stop being so stuck on these drugs. Let me, let me stop giving into porn so much. It might not be healthy for me. Whether God cares or not, I don't know. But, but just for me. And we will drive ourselves insane over here trying to fix the performance. But man... And we're here saying, 
God, I just want to love you with all my heart and my soul and my mind. The funniest thing happens. It begins to transform everything over here we were working so hard on. Everything over here we were driving ourselves crazy with. Because now our eyes are just fixed on our Savior. And our eyes are fixed on Jesus. And this might mean we have some really heart-to-heart conversations with God and saying some pretty brutal things like, God, I really want to love you more than anything, but I don't. God, change that about me. God, I really, really want to want to spend time with you. I, I want to want to. I don't really want to. Like Netflix does sound better, if I'm honest, God, but I want to get to the place where you sound better, where opening up the Bible sounds better than Facebook. God, I want that. It's not in me yet, but I want to get there one day. And this is where we come to God. And guys, we're crazy not to come to God. See, see, here's what so many of us do. We say, I don't love God like I should, so I'm just going to kind of, I guess, distance myself from him. And here's God saying, just reach out to me. I know you don't love me. Joey preached a great message on Friday, and he was talking about how God knows everything in our lives, and yet we try to hide stuff from him. God already knows you don't want him. God already knows you and I love Netflix more or porn more or alcohol more or whatever it might be. He already knows. Let's bring it to him. Have the real conversation. Say, God, I, I love this more than you, but I don't want to. I don't want to continue down these roads. I want to love you most. I want to be more passionate about you and your word and prayer and Christian friends and worship and reaching people who don't know you yet. I want to be more passionate about that than anything else. I was on Facebook the other day, and I don't really go on all that much, but I had posted something. And you know that little red symbol that goes off when you have a notification? Which means some, somebody probably liked or commented or, you know, med, your, I don't know, <laughs> your status, right? And, and you know, I, as soon as I saw it, I, I, was, I wasn't even actually trying to be on Facebook. It was open on my computer. I was going to do something else. Facebook was open. I saw the little red thing. And instantly, I was like, oh, I wonder what that is. And I went and I just clicked on it. And in the moment I did it, you know what I just felt? Impression on my heart. I never heard the audible voice of God, but this impression on my heart. I just felt like God was saying, Doug, are you as excited to hear what I have to say as you are about what they have to say on their little like or comment on what you posted? Like, like when's the last time you like thought about getting in God's word and you were so excited that you had to open it up just like you and I click on those notifications to see what so-and-so said or liked or how many people or who did. Just again, God, I, I want you more than anything else, God. And, and maybe I don't really want you more, but I wish I did. And God will honor a prayer like that. God will turn a heart like that as we have honest conversations with him. Best strategy for overcoming sin in our life is loving God. He came to me and said, Doug, I got this problem, I got this issue, I got this struggle. Best strategy. Accountability is powerful, great, I'm all for it. You know, getting into the word of God and getting scripture in your heart and speaking it out and all that, that's great. But the best strategy for overcoming sin is loving God. Read this along with me. When we keep the commandment to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, we will find more and more victory in keeping the other commandments as well. When we love God, when we're front and center saying, Jesus, I love you, I want to love you more, grow the passion in my heart, the more we love him, the more victory we'll see in those other struggles. Uh, Matthew Henry wrote this. He wrote this a long time ago. Used some language that's a little bit uh, outdated, but it's powerful. Listen to what he says. All obedience begins in the affections, and nothing in religion is done right that is not done there first. Love 
is the leading affection, which gives law and gives ground to the rest. What's he saying? He's saying that when we love Jesus with all our heart, soul, and mind, it has a funny way of transforming everything else. We get that first. When we get that foremost. When God is first in our life. It just has a funny way of changing everything else. And I've seen this a billion times. There are so many people within our church right now. So many, uh, one of the things that pops out to me are just marriages that were put back together. There were these couples and they're trying to perform and work things out and they just couldn't get it right. And, and several couples, that, as soon as they got their eyes back on Jesus, man, this changed. This transformed. Think back uh, years, years ago and you know, parents would come in and say, I, I dropped my kid off at the youth group uh, at the green room here. And man, I, it's like I dropped off one kid and another kid came home. And I would inform them that that's because we don't really care which kid goes home with par- which parent, as long as they all leave. I mean, we really don't care. <laughs> no, what, what would happen is, is they'd come and they would just set their eyes on Jesus and their lives would change. I remember one parent came to me and said, man, my daughter and I got into this terrible argument. Before we came, and we left real angry. I dropped her off at the church, and she came home, and she walked into the living room, and she apologized to me and went to bed. What happened? I don't think myself or Joey or whoever was the youth pastor at that time was preaching on apologizing to your parents. What happened? She had her heart set on Jesus. She, she had her heart brought to, you know, a little closer to her Savior. And that, in a funny way, in an incredible way, in a powerful way, begin to transform that relationship that was in trouble. Jesus says this in verse 38. This is the first and greatest command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we're going to dive into that deep next week. Verse 40. And this is where the idea for the series came from. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You know what Jesus is saying in that verse? It all comes down to this. It all comes down to this. 785,000 words come down to this. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. He's saying here, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, if there was no loving God and there was no loving others, there's nowhere for all the commandments and the prophets to hang. They're supported by these two truths. Love God and love others. Remember the guy in the beginning, the expert in the law? He said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Well, Jesus says, all right, love Lord your God. You know, it's funny because he didn't just sum up the law. He summed up the prophets too. He threw Isaiah and Daniel and all the prophets of the Old Testament in there. And then you go to the New Testament and you know what two themes keep popping up in the Bible? Love God, love others, love God, love others, love God, love others. Literally. The whole Bible, first and foremost, is summed up with this. God loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. And then the whole Bible is summed up with love God, love others. It all comes down to this. And so tonight, what I want you to walk out of here with is that it all comes down to loving God. It all comes down to loving God. That's what all of this is about. Uh, Can I just say for a minute what an amazing God we have? Because when you think about it, imagine yourself having a conversation with Jesus and saying, Jesus, what's the most important thing I could do? You know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, be perfect. He doesn't say, get it right. He doesn't say, pull yourself together. He doesn't say, get over your porn issue. Get over your alcohol issue. Stop, you know, watching so much TV. No, he doesn't go to any of that. What does he say? He says, love me. Love me. If that's right, watch what I'll do in the rest of your life. Love me with all your heart, your soul, 
and your mind. And so if it all comes down to loving God, then what needs to change? That's my question for you tonight. What needs to change? And I am not saying anything I'm saying tonight to try to make you feel bad, uh, to try to discipline or punish you or me. I'm trying to help us realize that there's a better way and that we've got to stop settling. And so what needs to change? Maybe, maybe you say, all right, you know what? If uh, the rival in my life, the fill in my blank there for what I'm tempted to love God or, or more than God is, uh, is TV or video games or any of that kind of stuff, then maybe, you know what, I'll still do those things, but I'm just going to be careful how much fun I, uh, time I spend doing those things. I would guess 90% of us don't even have a clue how many hours a day we spend before a TV screen or a, or a laptop or a gaming console. I would guess we just don't even know. So maybe it's just time to start paying attention. Again, Netflix didn't get on the cross for you. There's an amazing God who, who longs for a relationship with you and communication with you and with me. And so enjoying that stuff's great and it's good and I enjoy it myself. But it's just saying, wow, I want to make sure I love God more. And so just being aware. Uh, one of the best things you can do on Netflix and I don't know if you even know you can do this, but my greatest recommendation to you is turn off autoplay. Because that thing is the devil. <laughs> right? I mean, you'll turn on a show at like 9 o'clock and autoplay is on. And so when one episode ends, it goes right into the next. And you like wake up at 3, like drooling. Like I sat here for 7 hours and I pressed the button once. Right? Like what is going on? And you turn off autoplay and the creepiest thing happens. When the credits roll, it just goes to a black screen and nothing happens. And you sit there and go, now what should I do? It's incredible. And so just turning off autoplay might make you think, okay, I watched an episode or two. Maybe it's time to open my Bible. Maybe it's time to go hang out with my wife or my kids. Or maybe it's time to go work on some school. Or maybe I should like, go get a job. or what, you know, like, Maybe I should go do something here, right? And so I don't know what it is for you, but but man, that's just a simple little tip there. Maybe it's to take a step back from a relationship. Maybe there's a relationship that's dragging you down. Maybe it's a dating relationship. I don't know. You know, my wife and I, in marriage counseling, we always use this cheesy example of the pyramid. Uh, here's myself, here's Kelly. The closer we get to God, the closer we get to one another, the closer we get to one another, the closer we get to God, right? But some of us, are, we want to get closer to God, but we're in a relationship with somebody who doesn't want to get closer to God. And it's not a matter of good and bad or right and wrong. It's just a matter of people going in two different directions. So maybe it's time to take a step back from a relationship or even a friend group. If you're always ending up in a place you don't want to end up, maybe half your addiction struggles have nothing to do with you trying to drown out pain. It's just you kind of getting dragged along with a peer group. So maybe it's time to make a real tough decision. Maybe it's time to have a, a serious conversation with your boyfriend or girlfriend and just say, we got to stop sleeping together. We just got to knock this off. We got to stop. We got to stop. I've been a pastor a long time. I have lots of friends who are pastors. You know what conversation I've never heard? I've never heard anybody say about their single life, I wish I'd slept around more. Never once have I heard that. Never heard anybody say, I wish I'd, I'd done more with girls. I wish I'd done more with guys. You know what I've heard a billion times? I'm so regretful for the things I did before I got married. They still to this day haunt me. There are still things that I did that, man, I wish I could just wipe them out my memory. So maybe it's time to have a hard conversation. Uh, maybe it's time to take a break from some studies and, and focus on Jesus. Take a step back if that's what you're so focused on. And, and, and maybe it's just us. 
Maybe it's just us. Maybe we have to realize that the thing we're tempted to love more than God is ourselves. And so maybe we just have to take a step back and say, all right, I know what my struggle is here. I know it's making me the ultimate thing. I know it's me making myself more important than my Savior. And so maybe it's just time to say, God, I need you to be first again. God, I need you to be most important again. I want you to be number one. I didn't want to just preach this message at you tonight. I wanted you to see how it impacts lives. And so I want you to see the story of a guy named Ryan Reese. He was a big name in snowboarding, skateboarding, and music. And uh, he seemingly had it all. But God did something pretty incredible in his life. So you guys can check out the screens. Do you want to know words that would describe my life? I would just say fun, crazy, and out of control. Wilding out. Partying, skateboarding, going to all different countries, surfing from the Deftones, Limp Bizkit, sex addiction. I can't think right now. Acid and Hawaiian mushrooms. Every girl was out to burn me in 50,000 watts of sound system. She said, I love you, I want to be with you, but I'm, I'm going to get an abortion. I was losing friends that were dying, putting ecstasy, heroin, and coke in syringes and shooting it while smoking crack. During the summer, we'd go to Europe for a month and a half. We'd film videos, shoot for magazines, travel with musicians and go on tour with them. And then uh, we'd do video premieres with our skate videos. I'd wake up, go to work, go skate, go get wasted. But I had the nice house. I had the, the motorcycles. I'd literally done laps around the world like three to four times. And, you know, sleep with as many girls as you know, a lot of girls and the drugs, nothing gets me off anymore. You know, I couldn't, I was empty. It's just nothing made me happy. Then I did a tour through uh, Mexico, Costa Rica, and Panama City. And I just did cocaine the whole time. One of our team riders found me in my bed with cocaine all over my face and all over the counter and they couldn't wake me up. They thought I OD'd. All I know is I woke up the next morning and they said, dude, we thought you were dead last night. And at that point, I just realized I got to change my life. And I just remember going, Jesus, if you're real, I need you to prove that you're real to me. And I just, I remember this prayer my dad would say, just say, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Come into my life and fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I just started following him, reading, praying, going to church. I decided I'm not going to sleep with girls because, you know, I know it's in the Bible that I shouldn't be, like, sleeping with girls. I'm not using drugs. I'm going to church, but I'm watching porn because I'm like, no one knows about that. It's a secret, secret deal. But as, as I'm going to church, God's working in my life. He's transforming my mind and my heart. And all of a sudden, I come to this verse in Matthew, and it talks about Jesus said to the disciples, he said, if you want to be my followers, you got to turn from your selfish ways, pick up your cross, and follow me. I stopped watching porn. And I start, you know, every night I go home, the, the, you know, I'm getting these thoughts of watching porn, but by the power of the Holy Spirit that's working in my life, I'm praying to God. I'm like yelling at God, like, God, help me. Help me. I don't want to watch porn, Lord. I want to follow you. I don't want to, to, to say something and do something else. I want to be like you. I want to be like the disciples. I'm not perfect. I don't have everything figured out completely rough around the edges, but I know that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. 
and I'm going to follow him in whatever he does in my life. My name is Ryan Reese, and I am second. Maybe that's the starting point for some of us here in the room tonight. It's just to simply say, I'm second. I'm not first. The thing I'm tempted to love more than God is myself. I need to get myself out of that first spot. Let him be God. And I love Ryan's story. He goes all around the world and he tells people about what Jesus has done in his life. I love that when he got his eyes on Jesus, all the performance stuff, the drugs, the sex, the porn, the addiction, all the stuff, Again, more and more to be transformed just as he got his his eyes on Jesus. And maybe you can relate to like a really extreme story like that. But many of us in the room just relate to loving sports or entertainment or, or our job more than Jesus. But it's the same concept. Anything we make ultimate, anything we put in God's place makes a lousy God. And God's heart for you and I is to have freedom in him. Be satisfied in him to get our eyes focused on him. We want to help do that. That's what we do here. We we, we try to help people center their whole lives around Jesus. And so maybe the best thing you could do tonight is is put your trust in Jesus or or surrender an area of your life to Jesus. But I would just say, keep coming back. Because this is what we're all about, is trying to help people love God well and love others well. Trying to help people understand, okay, God loves me and wants to have a relationship with me. We want to help you learn how to have a relationship with him. We want you to stay strong in that relationship with him. So whether you're a follower of Jesus and you have been for 30 years or you're not even a follower of Jesus today, we're, we're all on the same path just trying to walk toward our Savior. So if you're a Christian, I would encourage you now just to bring to God that area of your life that you filled in that blank with. And just ask him. Ask him to help you love him more than that. Not just a little but so that there's no rivals, there's no close seconds, that you love him with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And if you're not a follower of Jesus tonight, I'd love to give you an opportunity to put your trust in him. And if you're not convinced yet, that's okay. We would just encourage you to keep coming back. Maybe grab a visitor's CD or an evidence CD set and ask the tough questions. If Jesus loves you and he's really there, it's worth digging into that and finding out if it's true. And so we hope you'll do that. But it all comes down to this. It all comes down to loving God. Let's pray. So God, we're just so thankful to you, Lord, for your love for us and your grace. We're so thankful, Lord, that your desire in our lives is to continue to work and change us and make us more like you. And all that happens when we put you first, when we love you most. And so I just pray, God, that for every one of us, myself included, uh, we're so prone to wander off that path that you have set before us. We're so easy to, or we're so quick to get off that easy and simple plan of just stay close to Jesus. And so God, forgive us for that and help us to stay near you. So Christians, just spend some time praying about that. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you'd like to put your trust in him today, you could just pray something like this, silently between you and God. Jesus, please forgive me for my sin. Thank you for your unconditional love that I don't deserve but you so freely give. Thank you for this gift of salvation that I could never earn myself. And I just ask God that you'll show me how real you are. 
and that you'll begin to change my life as I love you first. In your name, amen.